Welcome to Compliance Beat, the podcast for compliance and ethics professionals. We provide practical insights and answer your questions about compliance and ethics. Together, we'll stay up to date on current trends so that your program stays effective. Brought to you by Moorhead Compliance Consulting. Here's your host, Eric Moorhead. This week's question, is there an upside or a downside to marketing the ethics and compliance culture of the organization? I think there are both potential positives and negatives to publicly announcing your organization's particular commitment to compliance and ethics, or as more organizations are doing in recent years, seeking to certify that your program meets certain standards. If it's a good news, bad news situation, let's focus on a couple of the potential downsides or negatives at first. When you promote your program as being a best practices program, you need to expect that external forces and maybe some internal forces will want to investigate that at some point. So be prepared to support and show that the program does meet the standards that you suggest it does. This may seem obvious on its face, but beyond the hallmarks of the sentencing guidelines for an effective program, There are a lot of best practices out there that go above and beyond the guideline standards. If you are going to, either through a formal certification or otherwise, hold up your organization's compliance and ethics program as a best practices program, then you need to make sure that the homework's been done behind that, that there's an assessment that goes through the organizational program piece by piece and thoroughly benchmarks the program against peer organizations. You don't want to be in a situation where you're called out for not meeting best practices in one area or the other. The second potential downside, although for most compliance officers this is not a downside, this is the reality of life, is that if you are going to promote externally or internally the effectiveness of your program, that means that you have to remain committed to applying the resources and time to assure that that program remains a best practices program. There's no end to this race, (laughs) but I think by publicly committing to the notion that the program is a best practices program, there's no going back. That may be a good thing if you're trying to continue to encourage resources and enthusiasm for the program across the enterprise, but it's something to consider before you embark on any kind of certification process or any kind of public acclamation of the success of your program. Where I've seen this go awry before is with an organization that put together a program that was a best practices program in their mind that included a lot of resources, including regional compliance officers, compliance committees, and pretty consistent and detailed procedures, including certifications that these individuals had to engage in on a regular basis. The problem, of course, came when down the road, the organization had to cut. So these committees and those regional compliance officers with very specific responsibilities went away, but it was still documented as part of the program. So you can see where this is going. At year end, when these certifications were, as they always had been, presented to the board of directors, the problem is is that they weren't accurate. The resources had been cut because the program, at least in that incarnation, had been unsustainable. So that's what you don't want to get into. You don't want to purport to have a program that has certain aspects or meets certain standards if that's not something you're willing to continue to support 
and put the resources towards. Another potential downside, but rather than an external downside, an internal downside, is if the proclamation of an effective compliance program or a positive ethical culture doesn't jibe with the perception of your employees, they're going to sense the disconnect. And in other words, you will want to make sure that your evaluation of the relative success of the program jibes with the perception of the employee base. It's like anything else. If management is proclaiming something that the rank and file do not perceive to be accurate, then it's going to ring hollow. And that will obviously engender some problems internally. That might affect reporting down the road. It certainly also could affect the employee's overall negative perception of the program itself. So that's a real potential downside. So now that we've discussed sort of the bad news, then I think the good news or the upside, the potential advantages of marketing the success of your compliance and ethics programs or the culture of the organization are both, again, external and internal advantages. Externally, more and more often there are stakeholders, whether they're shareholders, whether they're regulators or the public at large, that look to organizations to have an ethical culture. And they expect organizations to comply not just with the letter of the law, but have an effective compliance and ethics program. So I think that there are some real advantages in the marketplace for organizations to tout this relative success of their programs, along with the many other things that organizations use to market the strength of their organization. Outside stakeholders also are more apt to perhaps want to work with your organization or partner with your organization if the overall image and brand of the organization is positive. And certainly having an ethical culture impacts in a positive way on the image and brand. Internally, the perception of the culture is very important. We've talked about this in other podcasts and will do in the future, but a positive perception of the culture impacts reporting, impacts morale, impacts employee retention. It also impacts uh, employee recruitment. So it's very important to keeping the employees happy and content in their roles but also allows them to feel that the organization takes these concerns seriously and has a culture that promotes organizational justice, for example. Lastly, another important consideration or upside, if you will, internally for an organization to promote the relative success of their compliance and ethics program is to generate interest and exposure to the compliance and ethics program itself. One of the things that many compliance officers struggle with is communicating to the base and getting them interested in training or a new code of conduct or some other initiative that's out there. We have Compliance Week. We have other initiatives that many organizations will undertake. But marketing the culture of the organization as a success or having a program certification that puts a stamp of approval, if you will, on the organization is another way to internally market the program and generate interest. And that's never a bad thing. If you have a question you want answered on the podcast, be sure to submit it on compliancebeat.com. Now here's the upshot. 
The upshot this week is, if you're going to promote your program success either internally or externally, be prepared for some scrutiny and be prepared to support that the organization meets best practices. And most importantly, be prepared to continue on the long, hard slog to keep the program up to stuff. Today we have three questions with Erica Salmon-Byrne. Erica is the Executive Vice President, Governance and Compliance for the Ethisphere Institute where she has responsibility for the organization's data and services business and works with Ethisphere's community of clients to assess ethics and compliance programs and promote best practices across industries. Erica also serves as the executive director of the Business Ethics Leadership Alliance, where she works with the Bella community to advance the dialogue around ethics and governance and deliver practical guidance to ethics and compliance practitioners around the globe. Prior to joining Ethisphere, she served as the Executive Vice President of Compliance and Governance Solutions for NYSE Governance Services, where she worked with varied clients in addressing their compliance needs, including evaluating compliance programs, assisting companies in measuring peer practices, and drafting training programs. She also practiced with DLA Piper in Washington, D.C., where she focused on the areas of internal investigations, enforcement actions, government audits, and international law. She is a regular speaker and columnist including a columnist for the Compliance and Ethics Professional and a contributing editor to the Compliance and Ethics blog. She previously served as adjunct faculty teaching business ethics in the Department of Business Ethics and Legal Studies at the Daniels College of Business at the University of Denver. Welcome, Erica. Thank you so much for having me, Eric. It's a pleasure to be here. Can you talk a little bit about your career journey? How did you end up in your current role? So I think it would be fair to say that I fell backwards into the ethics and compliance space as a relatively junior associate in private practice in D.C. So it was 2002, and I was practicing in the D.C. office of DLA Piper. I was in the litigation group there doing a variety of different types of litigation when the firm landed the defense of WorldCom in the bankruptcy court examiner investigation. And I was picked to be part of the team that was going to represent the company in the course of that internal of that investigation. Investigation, rather. And so I ended up doing that work. I ended up very much enjoying that work. If we had more time together, I could tell you lots of stories of what it was like to be in the room when some of those conversations were happening. It was a fascinating exercise and a look into what goes wrong at a large corporation when the tone at the top is, is truly dreadful. The firm then created a practice group that was specific for internal investigations. It was called Government Controversies. I went on to do about 14 internal investigations over the course of the next four years, variety of different topics, variety of different regulators. But because my client was always the company, the conversation really was, here's what went wrong and here are the things we're going to do to keep it from happening again in the future. So a a very firm grounding in the sentencing guidelines and what the sentencing guidelines told the prosecutors to expect from a compliance program. I then realized after four years and 14 internal investigations and hundreds and thousands of frequent flyer miles logged and lots of late nights that my everyday was my client's worst day and that the toll that these kinds of wrongdoing, this kind of corporate misconduct, the toll that it took on the average employee who hadn't done anything wrong, who was just trying to get through their day and get their job done was really truly dreadful. And so I looked up and I started thinking about what I could do with the experience I had that would perhaps be a little bit more proactive. And that's how I wound up in the role I took after that at Equipedia and NYSC Governance Services, and then, and then in the role that I have here at Ethisphere, really trying to figure out 
who's doing this really well. Because look, let's face it, what works in one company is very often with a couple of tweaks can work in another company, but it isn't always easy to figure out what companies are actually doing and who's doing it really well. And so that's one of the things I do here at Ethosphere is we we seek to promulgate best practices across industry to identify those companies that are doing these things really well and hopefully make those companies better places to work. And you know, at the end of the day, that's an awfully good reason to get out of bed in the morning. Certainly is. And if you could go back in time and tell your younger self one thing before you held your current role, what would that one thing be? Start drinking coffee earlier. <laughs> Sorry, I can't. I, you know, anytime, anytime I think of those kinds of questions, you know, there, there's always some funny thing that, that comes to mind. I, I think the one thing would be start really opening your brain to multidisciplinary inputs soon, right? I, I think they're one of the most exciting things to me about the ethics and compliance space generally is that there are so many people in the space doing so much good work in the space that aren't lawyers by training. And I think that makes the space stronger. I think that the teams that I come across that are multidisciplinary in nature are the strongest ones. You know, if you've got people coming in with an audit background and a, and a, a legal background and a risk background and a data analytics background, a corporate communications background or a marketing background, all of those kinds of pieces of training make a compliance program stronger. And I think there's a tendency for those of us who have been trained as lawyers to think, well, we're trained as lawyers, and so, of course, we're right. And so if there's one thing I could go back in time and tell uh, my younger self, it would be start to expand your horizons and who you welcome onto the team sooner because ultimately the work product that comes out of that is, is going to be a lot stronger. A little lawyer humility is never a bad thing. It is never a bad thing. Yeah. Uh, and then lastly, can you peer into your crystal ball for us and tell us one or two trends in compliance and ethics that you think will be very important over the next couple of years? Yeah, this is a really interesting question. So one of the first ones I would say is, is companies are going to be getting better and better at mining the data lake. Right. I mean, right now, what we see is a lot of people talking about data and what does it mean to have metrics and what is what does an effectiveness metric really look like? And I think we're going to get better and better at that. And I think one of the things we're going to see is we're going to start seeing a real focus on the data points that matter, because what's been happening is the data lake is just growing and growing and growing. And, you know, what people are fishing from it may or may not really be something that is meaningful from an effectiveness me metric. I think that's going to change. I think it's going to change fairly rapidly. And I think it's going to be a very good thing from an effectiveness perspective for compliance and ethics programs as more companies start to move from what I think of as activity metrics, how many calls that I get on the hotline, you know, what's my completion rate on the training to really more performance metrics. Do people actually understand what I'm training them on? How long did it take them to take the training? How many reminders did I have to send them? The things that really give me, that are data points that give me a clue about the health of my program. So that's one big trend that I would say I, I think we're going to see. And then the other, I think we're going to see a lot more focus on how to hire properly. I've been talking about this for a while now because I, I think if you look at the, the places where you really have an opportunity inside your organization to influence your culture, you really can pull on four levers, right? It's who you hire, who you fire, who you praise, and who you promote. And so I think there's going to be an increased focus on a lot of those. We've seen some focus on praise and promotion. Obviously, ethics and compliance programs for a while have thought about firing because that's what you do when you catch somebody engaged in misconduct if the misconduct is bad enough. But there really hasn't been very much attention paid to the first one. And hiring wrong is really expensive. If you hire for the wrong fit, if you hire for you know somebody who's got the wrong attributes, that's a very expensive proposition for a manager or for an organization. So 
I think you're going to see companies, ethics and compliance officers inside companies in particular, really start to think about how do I help hiring managers hire more effectively for fit? What does that look like for us? How do we do it efficiently? Because the cost of doing it wrong can just be so devastating. Well, thank you, Erica. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Thanks for listening to Compliance Beat. Check out our website, compliancebeat.com. This podcast is brought to you by Moorhead Compliance Consulting. Be sure to check us out at moorheadconsulting.com.